evening. My name is Paul, and I'm a full-blown alcoholic. And I'm glad to be here tonight. Oh, I see the people standing in the back. Too bad. I always feel sorry for the people who have to stand, and then I think, well, hell, I have to stand. Uh, besides, if they don't like it, they can leave. And, and, and of course, and of course, their conscience will get them, and their sponsor might see them, so they have to be careful. I never walked out on an album. I mean, this is a real, hot, uh, real jumpy meeting. You know, I don't know whether it's because everybody works a good program or it's this damn floor. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, I always like enthusiastic meetings, and uh, I never talked to a meeting like this, uh, this kind of a room before. It's, it's interesting. Hope you're all enjoying your Thanksgiving weekend and have been uh, appropriately thankful and uh, probably glad that the holiday is over. Uh, nice. Oh, and I want to congratulate the new people. I think that uh, Thanksgiving season is a really clever time to come into AA and get sober. I'm surprised at your uh, thoughtfulness and really working that out so it came right at the Thanksgiving season. And uh, for the rest of your life you can be thankful that you are sober, got sober around Thanksgiving time. I also noticed that most, uh, many, most of the new people are not just plain ordinary routine garden variety alcoholics, they're addict alcoholics. I guess I could be an addict alcoholic if I wanted to. Uh, I've never figured out whether being an addict alcoholic is better than or less than an alcoholic. And so I'm reluctant to do that. I also understand that, that if I'm an alcoholic, I, it doesn't matter what else I am. Uh, can't keep you out. You know, as long as you're an alcoholic, and um, if you're anything else than that, you, you don't need to be that uh, to be in. Uh, although I do uh, find there is a difference between addicts and alcoholics. Uh, at least I see it, my own personal opinion. Because uh, an alcoholic, as I see it, is a person that can't drink or take drugs. And an uh, addict is a person who can't use drugs or drink. And they, and, uh, anyway, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you keep coming back, and uh, congratulations to the chip person and to Ellen for her birthday, and uh, uh, also I want to testify the fact that I am still alive, uh, as Jean Dean and some of the others had heard that I had died. And that's definitely not true. That's not true. And uh, there's one more reason why I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be alive. And in fact, I'm glad that I'm glad that I'm alive. Uh, that hasn't always been that way. I used to wish I were dead. Uh, used to wish I were dead. The only thing I didn't like was the idea of dying. And, uh, I always thought of ways to commit suicide. Now, it feels for the easiest way, the most painful way, but there's always a risk that they'd find you before you were dead long enough. And 
I always thought the worst thing I could do with my life, it was bad enough, I'd been a failure and everything else. Now to attempt suicide and fail would be add one more failure to it. Or the idea of shooting myself you know, it seems so loud. So, <laughs> and so, so gruesome and so bloody. And uh, I don't know. I mean, there was a. I always thought of ways so I was going to inject some mag sulfate intravenously. That would kill you right instantly. And uh, I see a bobbing head over there. The only thing, the only thing I didn't know how to get the needle out and wash the syringe and needle out and put it away before I died, and how they would hide up the hole. Because I had holes in my arm anyway. I got little. Somebody might get the idea that I was an addict because I had needle marks on my arm, but. I was very careful to use the same place most of the time. Although I used the veins down here, I used to have black and blue marks from using the veins. Uh, but I wasn't an addict. I just took some. I used a few narcotics, kind of like between meal nourishments. Uh, it wasn't that I had to have them. And, uh, when addicts use dirty needles and they take anything they get, you know, they say, What's that? Give me some of Where did it? What happened? <laughs> I that's an addict, and I didn't do anything. I always, always used a fresh needle, and, and I never used anything but the purest of drugs that I'd stolen from my patients. And, uh, in fact, the patient woman would come in with the flu, and I'd tell Max, who was keeping my narcotic records because she worked in the office, I'd tell her, this woman has cholelithiasis. That means gallstones, but it sounds better if we say cholelithiasis. I'm going to give her two cc's of Demerol. I'd give her two cc's of vitamin B complex. I'd take one cc of Demerol, and she'd owe me one cc. <laughs> and um, and uh, I, uh, in fact, the other day I was talking to somebody, and they were, I wasn't talking to them, they were talking to me, and they were wasting Demerol. Wasting Demerol. They were injecting it in the muscle. And uh, that's, you know, that's a ridiculous thing. Demerol is a potent... It's a really important narcotic drug, and it it should be treated with respect, and it should always be injected intravenously. Uh, the only way to take Demerol, and I still love that way that you squirt it in, take me out, and wait and see what's going to happen. Nothing happened. And then all of a sudden, it's start in your feet, and just rush right up up to your ears, and I just float around the room. With it. Just love that feeling. Put it in the muscle, that doesn't happen. It's nothing, you know. But I uh I like Demerol better than morphine. You have to practice medicine with one hand if you use morphine. And you use the other hand to keep scratching your nose. It, uh, <laughs> makes my nose it's just thinking about it a little bit. It, <laughs> make, make my nose itch and um Make me vomit unpredictably. And, uh, patients never got used to that. They, uh, uh, I never became a dope fiend addict. Uh, I didn't become pill head either. I took a few pills. Naturally, I took pills. I was sick a lot. Uh, and, uh, I, uh, I, I took I took pills. I was a pharmacist and a physician and internal medicine and. Uh, I took uh, pills, but they're always, uh, always uh, medically indicated. I never ever, I never ever took a pill unless I had the the symptom. 
that only that chill would relieve. I either had it or I could feel it coming on, and I, and, uh, and I, and I never got hooked on the pill. In fact, you ask any doctor how patients get hooked on their pill, how their patients get hooked on pills, they'll tell you two things. And the first thing they'll tell you is none of their patients ever get hooked on pills. And the other thing they'll tell you is that the patients only get hooked on pills when they abuse the pills. The patient has to abuse the pills. That's how you get hooked on them. I don't even know how to abuse a pill. I know about verbal abuse, uh, sexual abuse, child abuse, spouse abuse, physical abuse, but I don't know how to abuse a pill. How do you abuse a pill? You throw it up against the wall, you step on it, you, know, you talk mean to it, you dirty, rotten little pill, why don't you do what I told you? you know, I, I treated my pills with a lot of respect. And, uh, oh, they're very tiny little pills anyway. In fact, there's this little pocket inside the big pocket. That's a pill pocket. That's where you keep your pills. You take the pills very easily. You have to be careful where you carry your pills. You carry them over with your change. And somebody said, you got change for a dollar? And you say, oh, yeah. And you go like that. They say, oh, you carry Nimbutal around in the daytime. Yeah. So you put your pills over with your uh, keys. And you go to get in your car and you pull your keys out. And a quaalude runs down the street. Yeah. And it always runs faster than you can run. Yeah. And you can't step on it or you'll be abusing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I always treated my pills with great respect. And I drank some. Not much. I drank socially. I, didn't. I was a social drinker, very social. Like somebody says, social drinker, somebody says, thank God I have a drink. The other guy says, social eye. You know, and I, um, but I wasn't an alcoholic. Uh, in fact, I even ended up in AA and I wasn't an alcoholic. Um, the only reason I came to AA was coming to AA and getting a pass to come to AA was the only way I could get a pass to get off the nut ward of the hospital I was on the staff of. And uh, I was there by mistake. And um, I had a brain tumor, and and they missed it. And I'm under the care of this incompetent psychiatrist. Couldn't see that my problems were marital. And uh, in fact, and in fact, Max had driven me to drink for 28 years, uh, and uh, he couldn't see that that had anything to do with it. Interesting thing I was talking about that earlier this uh, before the meeting. Max drove me to drink for 28 years. And I ended up in AA and turned into an alcoholic. And it used to be I drank a lot before I was an alcoholic. Now that I'm an alcoholic, I don't even drink. Uh, and and um, a week from today, a week from today, on December 2nd, Max and I will celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. The applauding AA and Alamon. Because uh, she goes to Alamon meetings and I go to a lot of them with her. And I come to my AA meetings and she comes to a lot of them with me. And uh, so is our two Aladogs, Lily and Sabrina, out in the car. They said to tell you hello. And uh, they come to a lot of meetings. They come to more meetings than a lot of people are trying to stay sober. You have nicer personalities than a lot of people are trying to take over. Yeah. Uh, 
I suppose you've heard that story that uh, uh, Father Tom W. tells. Uh, I've been telling it ever since I heard Max. When Max and I were riding off to meetings, we listened to tapes of meetings on the way to meetings, and we listened to tapes of meetings on the way home from meetings, and we listened to tapes of Father Tom with uh, a, a weekend retreat thing. He was telling how he was uh, reading uh, biographies of Hitler and was reading about the um, one time that Hitler drank. And uh, Hitler was telling the story about how he he and some other young soldiers years before had gotten hold of some liquor, <clears throat> some liquor, and they drank it, and Hitler got drunk, and in the morning he was disheveled and a mess and felt terrible, and he decided that was absolutely ridiculous and he was never going to do that again. He was never ever going to drink again, and he never did. Hitler never drank again, and uh, Tom says, and I give you Hitler as an example of an alcoholic who doesn't drink and doesn't go to meetings. The, uh, the, uh, and so that's the way that goes. And, um, but I had to come to meetings I wasn't even an alcoholic. I, mean, uh, I came to the meetings to um, get away from that nut work, uh because the psychiatrist really didn't pay much sense to me. He talked to the other people, but he didn't talk much to me. And, um, they wanted me to get to these meetings, and I went to one of these meetings. Uh, in fact, I remember when he was uh, one time he walked up to me and he says, "Would I mind talking to a man from AA?" And I, I couldn't imagine what possible help I could be to some drunk from AA. You know, and uh, uh, I ended up going to the AA meetings, and they I hear a lot of dumb things in AA when you're not a, an alcoholic. Um, Things I remember guys stand up there and say, if I don't drink today, I'm a success today. And I thought, oh my God, you know, what kind of an organization is this where they brag about not having a couple of beers, for God's sake? And I remember the uh, day this big, healthy, big, healthy, husky guy stood up there and said, for me, to drink is to die. And I thought, oh, come on, fella, you look pretty healthy to me, you know. I, um, I'd had convulsions twice, pancreatitis once. I was on task in the nut ward. I thought I was dying of a brain tumor, and I thought you were trying to frighten me into joining this thing. And, uh, they, um, and I kept coming to these meetings, though, and they heard these dumb things. In fact, I wouldn't have come. I, well, I, what had happened was I went back to the hospital, and this psychiatrist was really interested in me then. He wanted to know what the meeting was like, what they talked about, what went on there, when they were going to the next one, what kind of meeting was it, and all of a sudden I thought, my God, I've got me an alcoholic psychiatrist. You know? And he's ashamed to go, so he's sending me. You know? and, and I wondered how many meetings I'd have to go to before he let me out of the hospital. Uh, and... Um, Eventually, he did let me out, and I had no intention to go, but Max had gotten hooked on the meetings. In fact, I, once I found out she would like the meetings, of course, then when she didn't act right, I'd punish her and decide if she didn't act right, I'd punish her and decide I wasn't going to AA anymore. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried. And she got in the car, and she would, we lived in Anaheim, and I uh, went to meetings in Laguna Beach, about 45 minutes away, went to Laguna Beach so we wouldn't run into anybody we knew. Now, 22 years later, I've run into everybody that goes to Laguna Beach, so they won't run into anybody they know. And and she got in the car, and she drove all the way. She couldn't drive that far, but she got in the car, she drove down to Laguna Beach all by herself. And I don't know if you've ever tried that. Staying home on a Saturday night drinking, 
while your non-alcoholic spouse is off laughing it up in an AA meeting. And so I started going back to the meetings to see what she was doing. And um, and I turned into an alcoholic, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that's, in fact, that's one of the most profound things I've learned, is that alcoholism is a contagious disease. I thought you get alcoholism by drinking alcohol. That's what they told me in medical school. That's not true. You, you get drunk drinking alcohol. But you get alcoholism from other alcoholics. Uh, you get it, and, it's a, a, and you run into a lot of alcoholics today. I've always been impressed. I've always been impressed with the number of alcoholics that you find at AA meetings. And a lot of them there. And it, what happens is uh, they start talking, and you identify. That's the word they use. You identify with what they're saying. And you think, my God, I wonder if I'm an alcoholic. And boom, you got the disease. And once you got it, there's no getting rid of it. I tried to get rid of it by giving it to others. And that just made it worse. The more I gave it away, the more I had it. And I found out it's a virus. It's a virus and it affects the brain. It goes in through the ears. And, uh, so if you're here tonight, you're not really, really an alcoholic. You want to be real careful what you listen to. And, I, and when I turned into an alcoholic, I turned into a very mild alcoholic. Very mild. Very mild. Hardly alcoholic at all. Just just a, just a mildly alcoholic. Not, not a drunkard. Not a skid row bum. Not a wino. Not a rush. Not a lot of things. But just mildly alcoholic. Allergic to alcohol. They tell you in AA, you have an allergy to the body and compulsion of the mind. Allergy to the body and compulsion of the mind. I didn't have any compulsion. I didn't have any compulsion. Compulsion makes you do things you don't want to do. I didn't, I didn't have that. I, I did drink when I wanted to drink. When I wanted to drink, I drank it. Uh, I don't know what would happen if you waited for a compulsion and it didn't show up. You know? <laughs> but I did have an allergy to the body. I, mean, I, I, did, I reacted peculiarly to the drug alcohol. I do weird and peculiar things when I drink alcohol. In fact, I, uh, you know, it'll affect my speech, my tongue, my lips, and I will, I will talk slowly and deliberately, so nobody will notice. You know, and, uh, all right, I will uh, reach for something and knock down, or I will trip when there's nothing to. There would be times I find myself just lying there. Just lying there, looking very serene, actually. And my brain would say, get up, you fool. People will think you're drunk. And my body would say, what do you mean, get up? We're paralyzed from the ears down. Yeah. I would think, isn't that strange? That, isn't that strange that we can't move? And isn't that strange that I, uh, I must be allergic to this stuff, right? I must have an idiosyncrasy. I, I have an abnormal response to the drug alcohol. I have to ask somebody about that someday. Some allergist or something. Never found any to ask because you, you can't trust just anybody. They're liable to say, well, I don't know why, but if it affects you that way, why don't you just stop drinking it? I didn't want to know what to do about it. I just want to know why it did that to me. Yeah. But I, I knew I was allergic to alcohol. But it was an interesting scientific problem. And I remember uh, used to lie there and think about it. And, and uh, it was kind of interesting. And also it took my mind off my full bladder. Uh, 
They always thought that was a bad combination, very impractical combination. I never had was paralyzed from the ears down that I didn't have a full bladder. Uh, bladder that absolutely refused to remain full. And I, uh, uh, it's uh, no better today than it was then. I mean, I, that's one thing. A lot of AA benefits. Lot, I mean, a lot of benefits. A lot of fringe benefits to AA recovery. A lot of them. But an increased bladder capacity has not been one of them for me. My bladder capacity today is no better than it was for beer. Uh, but, I, I'm, but I'm not complaining. I'm, on the other hand, I don't complain at all because even though my capacity is no better, my aim has improved tremendously. <laughs> and that's that's nice. I like that. I like that. And Max likes that, too. And the... Uh, so I, um, that part's better. And, uh, and I don't have any, it's interesting to me that I don't, uh, have any trouble, uh, with not drinking today. I mean, I, I remember that I first didn't drink. I decided not to drink that day and see what happened. And, uh, nothing happened. So I decided to do it another day. And, um, nothing happened that day. And that's kind of the way I do it. Today's the day I don't drink. Today's an important day for me. Today's the day I don't drink. Like somebody said at a meeting the other day, he said it was, uh, and that day was Wednesday. He said, never drink on Wednesdays. Today's Saturday. I never drink on Saturday. Yeah. Just don't drink. They're going to drink tomorrow, but I don't drink today. I drank many yesterday. I don't drink today. I'm going to drink tomorrow. In fact, I don't think I can keep from drinking today if I didn't know I was going to drink tomorrow. And when tomorrow gets here, I'll check the time. And if it's today, I won't drink today. Okay. And uh, that, work the steps, have the sponsor, go in a lot of meetings, and once they get through the steps, starting over and doing them again, helping other people, doing a lot of other things in AA. Uh, I find it easy to stay sober. In fact, and I say doing a lot of other things in AA, I try to do all the things I can do in AA. I want, I want all I can get out of this program. In fact, I, it seems to me that the program people are divided into two groups. The group that want everything they can get out of AA and they're very active and doing all things and starting meetings and leading meetings and officers and meetings and all that stuff. And the other people are trying to see how much is the least they can do and still stay reasonably sober. <clears throat> and they make it except on the days when they don't. Uh, and I would rather be in the, the group that wants to be active. In fact, when I decided when I was going to be um, when I decided I was a little bit alcoholic, it uh, seemed to me that uh, I looked around and it seemed to me that uh, there were people who were making it and happy and people who weren't making it or even if they were making it that day, they weren't very happy. And somebody was saying, stick with the winners. Stick with the winners, they were saying. And it seemed to me the winners were the ones that were happy, sober and happy. Because I spent a lot of time for a number of years, I would go around, and everybody I could see that I thought was a winner, or seemed like a winner, or might be a winner. I would ask them, "How do you how do you work this program? How do you how do you stay sober?" And I would tend to do the things that they were doing, and uh, not do the things they weren't doing. And um, I would talk to the people who were in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. I'd say, "How do you work this program?" I would tend to not do the things they were doing, to do the things they weren't doing. And that's been working real well for me. Act like a winner was the, the phrase I used for myself. Act like a winner in order to become a winner. 
In fact, I would recommend it to anybody. Act like the person you want to be in order to become that person. Take it till you make it. Which is quite different than pretending to be something you're not. I used to pretend to be something I wasn't in order to fool you. I act as if I were the person I want to become in order to change me. I don't care whether it fools you or not. Uh, act as if, act as if you In fact, I find that particularly with uh, depression. Well, I love to be depressed. It's always been one of my favorite moves to get depressed. When I get depressed, I get depressed all over. I go to bed, pull the toes over my head, put my thumb in my mouth, and stay there. No. I can realize that's very depressing to act like that. In fact, in order to be loving, the way to be loving is to act as if you were. Do loving things. Being spiritual. The way to be spiritual is to act as if you were spiritual. Just act as if you were. Somebody was saying in a morning meeting the other day, it's uh, the idea of uh, being bored. It's very important, for me it is very important, to avoid boredom in AA because it seems to me that I don't see very many people resign from AA. They don't quit AA. We seem to drift away from AA. We find we can get along without this one meeting. Then we find there's another meeting we can get along without. And another, and we just, we don't quit. We just drift away. And I, I think if you look around, most time it's because we get bored. But what I started to say was the gal reminded me that people who are bored are boring. You ever seen somebody who was bored that wasn't a boring person to be around? And I find that's what I do. That if, if I'm bored, it's because I'm boring. And uh, I need to get active and uh, get out of thinking about myself and start, find things to do. Go start some meetings like uh, Gene here is doing. I love to start meetings. Whenever I couldn't find a meeting that I liked to, with something I needed, I'd go start one. I mean, either, either go or it wouldn't. You know, and uh, what's the difference either way? It's just fun to have it go and have years later it's still going. And you knew you started it. So. Started a dozen or so meetings. Anyhow, my uh, the idea of staying sober, I find as long as I stay real active, it's real easy. Uh, it's easy for me to not drink a day at a time. My problem, more, my more immediate problem is to not think. And indeed, I don't even have a problem today. I don't have a problem. I don't have any problem today, unless I think I do. And if I think I do, I always do unless I think I do. Yeah. And if I think I do, I always do. Yeah. I've never ever thought I had a problem and been wrong. Yeah. And I, in fact, I determine the size of my problems. If I think it's a big problem, it's a big problem, no matter what you think. In fact, if I, if I think it's a little problem, it's just a little problem, no matter what you think. And I'm, But I don't have very many little problems. So all I have to do is think about it and watch it get bigger. I don't have to work on a problem to make it get bigger. All I have to do is think about it. I can take any little old problem and just make it grow. In fact, I don't even have to start with a bad problem. I can start with a non-problem. I say, well, that's, all, but that's not a problem for God's sake. 
I suppose if you thought about it, it might be. And, and I, you know, it is. You know, it is. Pretty soon I'm thinking, you know, by God, it's a good thing I'm looking at this. <laughs> Everybody else is missing it. You know, it's a, it really is quite a problem. And. And the more I get to think of how important it is that I look at it, the more bigger it gets and the easier it is to look at it. Pretty soon that's all I can see. And people can't even help you much with a problem like that. They tell you stupid things. They say, well, don't think about it. Now, I don't know how to not think about a problem. The problem isn't worth having unless it's worth thinking about. I don't bother with any problem unless they're the kind that's worth uh, getting obsessed over. It's like resentment. I don't bother with any but the justifiable ones. Uh, and I, uh, in fact, my sponsor is a, he's a wonderful guy, but he's got this dumb expression. He's a real, he's a great guy. He's easy going, relaxed, but he's got this dumb expression. And almost no matter what it is, he says, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> See, you got a big problem and you're looking for a solution. What are you going to do with, well, whatever? <laughs> In fact, I've always thought that I was going to do a lot more with my life, and I would have if it hadn't been for bad circumstances. If it hadn't been for my parents, he, he was a pharmacist instead of a doctor. It was a small town. It was back in Ohio. Use the expression instead of in California. And it was this was and it was Max. If it was, if you had to live with Max, you'd understand why I wasn't doing more with my life than I am. And I used to call him up to tell him somebody needed to know. Somebody ought to know what it was like living with Max and realize why I wasn't doing more with my life than I was. And I would call him up to tell him about the things that she had done. And one day I called him up to tell him about something really horrendous that she had done that I can't recall at the moment. Uh, and um, I'd already even got started with the story, and he interrupted me. He interrupted me and said, well, he said, why don't you put it out of your mind a couple of days and see what happens? And I, I, I said, Jack, a couple of days? I'll forget all about it. You know? <laughs> uh, you, you, can't, you can't ignore problems, Jimmy. You, you've got to deal with them right away. Problems have a very high infant mortality. Uh, as soon as you see one, you've got to latch right onto it and give it a lot of attention because if you don't, they'll die. I mean, they, they, dis they disappear. It happens a lot of times to me. I'll be working on one and somebody will call me up and uh, with some really stupid little thing they're fussing about, you know, when I've got a real problem and they'll keep me on the phone a long time and you, and you can't just tell people right off. Uh, in fact, I... I mean, you can't tell people right off what to do like he did, or you've got to, you have to do active listening. That's the hot thing today. And if you want to be a counselor, you have to learn how to be an active listener. What that means is you participate in the story, say, oh, and then how did you feel? <laughs> oh, oh, and then what happened? Oh, and what, and tell me more. And, and how did you feel then, you know? And just keep asking them questions and asking them questions and keep them talking until neither one of you can stand it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
In fact, I often paraphrase this business about uh, sponsorship. It really annoys me when people say that somebody asked them to be their sponsor uh, today, and I said, what did you say? And they said, I said, no. And I said, why did you say that? And they always say, they always say the same thing. They always say, I didn't think I knew the program well enough. And I always say, what the hell do you want to do? Go to sponsor school first? And, that's how you learn to be a sponsor to somebody, is by being a sponsor. It's the same way you learn how to lead a meeting, or read at a meeting, or participate in a meeting, or talk in a meeting, or anything. Or take, do a 12-step call. You learn how to do it by doing it. You don't do, do have any schools in AA. You do it wrong, and everybody watches you and tells you what's wrong with what you're doing, and you learn how to do it. And that's how you learn how to sponsor people. And I, I, I make fun of the thing in bit by telling people, that you can be a sponsor, a really good sponsor, and only know five words. You only have to know five words in the English language to be a good sponsor. Somebody will ask you a question, and you'll answer it. You'll say yes, or you'll say no. Yes or no. Sometimes they'll just tell you something, and they sound uh, rather excited about what they're saying. And you say, Really? You get yes, no, really. Uh, or it, it sounds a little sad. If you don't want to say really, and you don't want to keep saying really all the time, so you use my sponsor word, you say, whatever. So you got yes, no, really, and whatever. Now, sometimes they'll call from cloud nine, and they're really happy. And... Uh, and I don't try to bring people down from cloud down. I say, oh, it won't last. You watch out. You'll be down. I tell them to stay up there as long as they can. If they come down, get back up as soon as they can. Stay as much time as they can on cloud down. Well, and they're calling me real happy about things. And then you give them the fifth word. You say, wow. <laughs> so you got yes, no, really, wow, and whatever. Now, sometimes, you know, they're talking and you're not listening, so you don't know which word to use. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, that's no problem at all. Besides, you don't want to use the same words all the time. That's no problem. Then you use a non-word. No matter you use a non-word, no matter what it is, no matter what they've said, you say, hmm. <laughs> and if with practice, you can get that into a question. You can say, hmm. Yeah. Or, or you can get into an exclamation, hmm. And, uh, you can you get a lot of the things out of that, but they, they have five words and a non-word, and it's really easy. That's all it takes to be an excellent sponsor. In fact, I've heard it said that I've heard, had some adolescents tell me that it's a good thing for adolescents to use on their parents. In fact, I've heard parents say it's a good thing to use on their adolescents. And in fact, it may be a good thing to take home and use on your family. But uh, well, the other thing is. You know, sometimes they will ask the question. Sometimes, I mean, I mean they'll, they'll want an answer on how to solve a problem. Most of the, not very often, it doesn't happen very often that they want to know what to do about it. Most of the time they just want to whine about the problem. Uh, but if they really want to do something about the problem, that's not a difficult one. You just let them outline the problem, and no matter what the problem is, this is the thing that fascinates me about our program. doesn't matter what the problem is. Doesn't matter if it's a financial problem, a relationship problem, uh, in-laws problem. Uh, it doesn't matter what the problem is. No matter what the problem is, 
The answer is you pick a number from 1 to 12. And you say, work that step. And they disappear. Yeah. And they, one of two things happen. They either come back later and they say, oh, I have the most wonderful sponsor. Or else they never come back. Yeah. Especially if you pick number four. Yeah. But if they don't want to work the steps, you don't want to sponsor them anyhow. Because that's what you're sponsoring them to, is, is how to live this program. And in all our affairs, uh, it, it, it impresses me that our uh, the steps that I had to work in order to keep from drinking are the answer to every problem I have today. And um, in fact, I was sitting in a meeting the other morning, and it was a real boring meeting. <laughs> I shouldn't say that after talking about being boring. Uh, uh, it was a very boring meeting. And it was, it, 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 the people either weren't talking or the ones that were talking weren't saying anything. And uh, I was saying anything what a boring meeting was. And they had the 12 steps on the wall. And uh, what's the first word is first step? We. Good answer. It's a we program. I can't do it, you can't do it, but we can do it. It's a we program. It's a we program. But... The thing I was that impressed me was the last few words of the 12 steps. Commonly, I've been in a lot of discussion meetings, I've heard them often discussed, you know, what, what are these principles? What are these principles that we practice in all our affairs? And when, you, when I read the steps on the wall, it seems obvious to me, Bill W., who wrote the steps, did not, back in that day, it was very important not to use the same word twice if you could find a word substitute for it. And an example was that in the sixth step, he says, uh, became entirely willing to have God remove our defects of character. In the seventh step, he changed it and said, humbly ask God to remove our defects, our shortcomings. So he went to shortcomings from defects of character rather than say the same thing twice. And it seemed to me he did the same thing in the 12th step. He said, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these steps in all our affairs. Then changed it and said, practice these principles in all our affairs. So it's interesting. The point I was making was that in all my affairs, the steps can be the answer whether it's in my relationship with Max, my relationship with anybody else, or whatever. The answer is in the steps. I can pick a step that will fit the problem, fit the need. And if I'm focusing on that, uh, I don't have to... Uh, it takes care of the problem, rather than working on the problem. I should be work, working on the answer. In fact, it seems to me that, going back again to the fact 22 years ago, when I accepted the fact that I was a very mild alcoholic of sorts, uh, I went to one meeting too many, and that happened. Uh, and the odd thing about it is that I haven't drunk since then, but my alcoholism has gotten progressively worse since then. Yeah. I'm far more alcoholic today than I was then. Uh, it's a progressive disease, uh, whether you drink or not, except it's a more comfortable if you don't drink. Uh, the nice part about that is it's also a progressive recovery. And uh, so that, that part's been nice. But I, uh, I forgot what I was saying. 
And it's your loss, because I'll remember it on the way home. Uh, yeah. It, it, it intrigues me that I, uh, you know, what what happened? What happened that day or hour or minute or whatever when I accepted my alcoholism that changed my life so completely? Because I haven't had a drink since that day. I haven't had any mind or mood affecting your drugs since that day. And I like who I am since that day. Not all instantly, but with time. Uh, and I like, AA gives me a way to live such that I like who I am. And my everything is gone, it's in an opposite direction. The only thing I, the things that come to mind are that I think when I accepted my alcoholism, and I was willing to say, now what am I going to do about it? And I started trying to live, act like a winner. I moved from living in the problem to living in the answer. I think predominantly I moved from being a victim of life. Um, my thing was, if you had my wife, if you had my life, if you had my problems, if you had my patience, if you had this, and I was a victim of life. I moved from being a victim to being a hero in my own life story. And I think, I think life asks that of every one of us at every moment of every day. What role do you want to, the story of your life is going to continue today. What role do you want to play? Do you want to play the role of victim or do you want to be a hero or heroine in your own life story? And I think I moved into, uh, so as a matter of fact, it reminds me, somebody sent me a badge the other day from Phoenix. A little badge. It says, no whining. I have the vaguest notion of why they thought I needed that. The, but I, I went from being a whiner to being a winner and when I made that change. And uh, I become real good friends with my heart power uh, and such good friends that I was able, AA has allowed me to completely change who my higher power is. I was had the God of my childhood and I have the higher power of my choosing today. In fact, you might, if you're having problems with a higher power or you don't have one, it might be worth your time to either write out or think out exactly what you would like the ideal higher power to be. Just what would you like higher power, a higher power to be if you had one? And you might come to realize that is your higher power, the one that comes to your mind. Because that's how God speaks to me. He speaks to me by these voices in my head. He speaks to me the voices in AA. I used to drown out the voices in my head so I could sleep at night. And uh, that, a lot of times I'd want to lie down and go to sleep. My body would want to sleep. My brain would say, no, let's lay here and talk about it a while. Yeah. Or even in the middle of the night, they'd say, hey, wake up. You know, we need to talk to you. It's an emergency. Yeah. You know that thing that you thought you handled so well today and they were so happy with you? Wasn't like that at all. You, know, you wait till morning, you'll find out. You know. And boy, God, I don't want to listen to that crap. And I roll over and go back to sleep. And just as I'm about to lose consciousness, I think, boy, I'm glad I'm not thinking of that anymore. Yeah. <laughs>
You say, hey, you know, that's not the first time uh, you did that either. You've done dumb things before. In fact, you've done a lot of dumb... Let's spend the rest of the night laying here making a list of dumb things you have done, you know. And uh, and, uh, and I used to drown those people out. So and, uh, and today I find that that's how God speaks to me, one of the voices in my head. He comes to me with loving thoughts, not, not just loving thoughts, but love actions to take that are loving. Making the other person feel important, like we do with newcomers in AA, and like we do with each other in AA, like we do when we applaud, and like we make the other person feel important. Being courteous, just being courteous to another person, either in a meeting or at home, is an act of love. And uh, that's uh, God comes to me in, in ideas like that of being loving, being spiritual, being kind, things to do for somebody else. And I get that at AA meetings, and I get it from the people in my head. And that's why I can never drown them out with drugs, and I can't not come to AA because they need to hear this. So God speaks to me there, either whether it's at the speaker or somebody reading Chapter 5 or Chapter 3 or the leader, or the birthdays, or a chip person, or a person before the meeting, or a person after the meeting. It's interesting to go and say, when's it God speaking? And uh, I have a good relationship with my higher power today. I tell him, I'll pedal and you steer. And for God's sake, watch where you're going. Yeah. And I'm sick of some of the places we've been. You know. uh, uh, but... <clears throat> I, I enjoy this stuff. I enjoy this thing. I, uh, <clears throat> I was convinced for many, many years that the worst possible thing that could happen to a nice guy like me would be I'd turn out to be an alcoholic. And it happened to me. Came to one meeting too many, turned into a mild alcoholic. And uh, the best thing that's ever happened to me. Best thing that's ever happened to me. I, uh, I've never had it so good. Um, I'm, I'm not only grateful... People say I'm not grateful to be an alcoholic, but I'm grateful for this way of recovery. Well, if I wasn't an alcoholic, I wouldn't need the recovery. And I certainly wouldn't do this stuff if it wasn't because I was forced to because of being an alcoholic. I'm, I'm thoroughly uh, enjoying being an alcoholic. In fact, I like the line in the middle of page 132 in our big book where it says, we absolutely insist on enjoying life. And uh, I recommend it to you. Enjoy life. Besides, they don't charge any extra if you do. Thank you very much.